Hello, hello, and welcome once again to Putting It Together. It's well into February now, and my name's Brian O'Sullivan, and this is my podcast, I'm sure you know, it's called Putting It Together, and it's creative conversations, people from across the arts, and today my guest is Darren Connell, he's the first stand-up comic I've had on the show, so it's, uh, it takes a bit of a different turn, it's good to talk comedy, and um, of course you won't be surprised that in a sense it gets quite serious, and uh, it gets quite funny too, it's great to talk to Darren. So this week I've been talking about the live show of Putting It Together, which I'm hoping is going to come off in April. That's the one and only bit of information I can now give you about that. April is when I hope that's going to happen. In the meantime, I've started writing The Clouds, or my adaptation of The Clouds, which is called The Thinkery. Um, Although right now I'm in a kind of a research phase, I'm reading, there are so many translations of this play that I'm reading as many as I can and it's really amazing how different they are one from the other is just I mean they can be almost completely different plays the characters are called different things the lines are sometimes entirely different sometimes in verse sometimes in rhyme in song and sometimes not and it's um so I'm, p- I'm picking my way through these different translations and in a sense it means you get to pick what versions you like best and then you know lift from from where seems appropriate that's the way I'm doing it at the moment although I haven't started the actual dialogue writing process yet i'm getting to a point of of uh, planning and researching before i go to that um to do that i've booked myself a wee writing retreat so i'm away next week uh somewhere a bit of sun and uh, that mean I, i'm kidding myself on that that will mean i'll write more i don't know but i'll go I, because i think i'm gonna have a little holiday anyway relax a little get away from the cold my goodness it's cold in glasgow i don't know where you are but it's cold here so uh oh, that'll be a nice change but uh, the mo- the podcast will continue. Don't worry about that. The podcast will always continue. So next Wednesday and all the Wednesdays to come, there will be a new episode hitting your ears. And as always, it comes out at midnight. So if you do happen to be a late night person, you can grab it before you even go to sleep. Otherwise, you wake up to it. It's a nice way to start your day. I don't know where you are listening to this and what's happening. But anyway, there you know the information now. I'm um, keeping busy with the old podcast. I've got two interviews that I'm doing tomorrow. I've got two the next day. So we're well ahead of the game. No problem there. Um, but tonight I'm going to the sets, which I love, to see Bold Girls, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I've never seen a production of it before. I know it's one of Rona Monroe's earlier plays, um, 1990, I believe, is when it was written, or published anyway. So I'm hoping to talk to Rona sometime soon um, about that and many other things. We work together on the James plays, and she's a terrific writer and a beautiful person, so it'd be great to get her in here. And we have talked about it, we've just not quite managed to make our diaries coincide quite yet. But I hope that will happen. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, this chat with Darren again. Um, we recorded it a week or so ago and we, we met many years ago, although we didn't realise that we'd met uh, at the Stand Comedy Club because I was involved with wee bits and bobs of, of comedy at the time. And um, we've become good friends later and realised that we had met each other back then. So it was cool to hear about his, his journey. I mean, it's you would probably call it an unlikely journey into the world of comedy and, and theatre and telly and stuff. It's really funny the way he, just bold as brass, not knowing anything about this world at 18 years old, just, just bumbled his way in. and It's amazing. It's a great story. So I won't say too much. I'll let you enjoy it. Um, let's get on with it. It's Darren Connell and me, and we're putting it together. Is it strong? Uh, it's strong, eh? I do. I always do a doubler. What kind is it? I don't know. Inst- it's, it's, it's like very posh nice. instant. That is really nice, you man. You know how you get like instant, but you get the posh ones that come in a wee metal tin, but With it's the, still instant. The orange lid. Aye, that kind of thing. That one. 
but not specifically. I know what you're trying to do is avoid the brand name there, but it's, it is Tesco's own one of those. <laughs> I think it's called Barista. Oh, aye. aye. Anyway, it's like posh instant. But I always just put double whatever it says. I just double it. So you're going to be now. I guess my face has gone numb. <laughs> numb. I didn't put that much in. I was doing a show with um, a guy. He was the techie, and we were all living in this house together. And I got up one morning, and he he said, "Oh, by the way, if you run, when you run out of coffee, just use mine. I've got." And he had a similar thing, and he showed me it. And I went, "Oh, that's actually I've got this other one for when I run out. So actually, we've got three. And he went, "All oh, right, um, <laughs> you could, you know, like a three cheese pizza." And I went, <laughs> "Uh huh." He went, "Well, you could have a three coffee, coffee." <laughs> 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 and I went. Like a blend. Anyway, aye, that's a better word, aye. <laughs> and so, did, did you go? Aye, we went for it, yeah, yeah. And then, ever after that, I would say to him, I'm going to make us a three cheese. A three cheese coffee, mate. Three cheese coffee. <laughs> None of it's cheese. That's like ape logic, isn't it? Like, just yeah. wha- whack it all in together. Yeah, well, why not? You do blends of everything else, don't you? Well, why? That's true. It's like, we've got the coffees, we'll blend them up. I didn't do that, I just gave you two scoops. Of the yeah. Are anyway, you a coffee drinker? I was, I was when I was doing, when I'm doing a show, I'll do loads of caffeine. Yeah. Energy drinks, coffee, terrible. It becomes a bad habit. And then since I stopped doing a show recently, I haven't had a single coffee. And it wasn't mm. even deliberate, I just went, right, I can't, because I, I can't sit in the house and be like buzzing. Aye. <laughs> it doesn't work. But if I'm working, I can. Yeah. But you're no one of these guys that will pull out like, have you tried this coffee? It's oh, called no. the Black Death of Jamaica. <laughs> no. um, you take it and your feet go numb. Yeah. Like, you nah. feel like you're going to die. <laughs> no, I have no interest in that. Because it, like one strong coffee is enough to make me want to consider all my life choices again. <laughs> and, and you know, phone, up, phone my therapist and say, can we resume next week, please? <laughs> so, yeah, I can't be doing with the Black Death stuff. Didn't mm. you? Wasn't there some of that kick? No, it was a special vanilla or something when we were at Tom's. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was like, I don't know, like. But it wasn't like the danger. He did have some of that danger coffee. He was up for two days. Yeah, Tom Yuri. What, what's that called actually? I can't remember, but we should have known when we saw the skull and crossbones on the logo. Yeah, but I mean, if he's saying he can't sleep for two days, that's bad. Yeah, because he drinks a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've gone for the lemon and manuka, the posh actor tea. Snob. Yeah, snob, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I sounded like I was bullying you there. I didn't it's mean so that. straight, snob. Yeah, snob, I hate you. <laughs> so you're the first uh, stand-up comic I've had on the show. Yes. Is that how you class yourself? I'm you privileged, have... thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Because uh, I never went to drama school or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I would say I'm a stand-up comedian. So how do you, how do you start in that business? I just realised that we've just started the podcast, by the way. I oh, you've only just realised? We were just warming up. I'm talking shit about coffee for about five minutes. No, it's all good. I mean, right. I'll cut whatever of it I want to cut and I'll keep whatever right. I fancy. <laughs> no bother, keep it in. Uh, well, <clears throat> without sounding too cheesy or anything like that, I just, when I was in school, when I was really stuck in at school, mm-hmm. and when I left, I literally just got up and left school that day. I got a job in a supermarket four days later in Safeway and it was like £3.45 an hour and you know I was quickly like oh no what am I going to do with my life so you decided on the day or you told them on the day at school you said I'm I'm done now no I literally I woke up and I done that I'm going to leave school today and I left wow I just left I went in got all the paperwork signed and left (laughs) 
and uh, you know I've, I've never heard anyone do that <laughs> I, I suppose it was happen. well you know but I never like never really thought about a trade or anything like that and I went to college to do TV production and right. sound recording ah okay because I've, I've always loved the industry I think mm-hmm. even before I knew anything about it and I always wanted to be an actor but I was too shy when I was younger. Okay. So I had a an audition set up at Langside College for right. the drama school. And I never went because I was too scared. I had a panic attack in the bus and no. got off at the bus. So you were on the bus on the way there? Yeah. And never went. <sighs> and was this um, after you left school? This was after I left school. So that yep. was part of the plan at that point? Well, it was like... I've kind of got a weird knowledge, like, I just never really knew much about, I never knew you could get drama schools in Scotland, and mm-hmm. just, I was in this wee bubble. But why would you know? Like, yeah. It's not well advertised, or, yeah. you know, it's becoming clearer now, I suppose, with social media and whatnot, but. So, I thought, if I want to do acting and stuff, I'll go and do TV production and sound recording, and it'll make me learn about behind the camera as well okay and i quickly realized that it was wasn't for me but i found myself being the class clown quite a lot and making people laugh and i found out that i was getting quite addicted to it as well and a boy in the class was like you should really try stand-up comedy like i think you would be brilliant at at doing stand-up okay at that stage i was already kind of writing stuff I don't know if I was writing it on the purpose to perform it. Mm-hmm. I think I was just writing it to get it out of my head. And I found it quite therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And he told me about the Stand Comedy Club, which at that stage I've never heard of before mm-hmm. in my life. And he told me about Red Raw, the Tuesday night. Yeah, the beginner's uh, kind of night. Yeah. So he planted a seed. Okay. And that made me kind of pursue it. But, you know... Even at that stage, I, I remember, like, I've had such a weird entry into the world of stand-up, like, because I was reading the Evening Times once, and Karen Dunbar had a two-page spread out, and it was about how she made it in the industry, and she says she got an open edition at the comedy unit. Mm-hmm. So, for some reason, I don't know why I did it, right? I was, I think I was 18, I phoned up the comedy unit and I says, I'm an actor and I would like an audition. And wow. she said, yes, we're holding open auditions. Would you like to come in? And I says, no bother. <laughs> <laughs> this is all on the one phone call. She just yes. answered you with, yep, we yep. do have auditions. Yep, we're doing open auditions. Wow. For, um, it shows you how long ago that was because they don't really do open auditions anymore. And I went into a charity shop and I bought a suit. That I thought would be funny. <laughs> that you thought would be funny. <laughs> so it was like a three-piece suit right. that didn't fit me. And I got a top hat out of Tom, Tam Shepherds, <laughs> And I turned up at this comedy unit. And they were like, right, you've got ten minutes. Do your ten minutes and we'll film it. And I was like, right, no bother. And Did you have say, ten? No, nope, I didn't have ten. You I had nothing, man. I went for it. And I've never in my life made such an arse of myself like it was like pity laughing pity claps mm. i'm sure i seen somebody like the guy was just physically cringing at me <laughs> while i'm thinking i'm having this inner dialogue thinking what have i done with my life why am i doing this and after it i don't i never lasted 10 minutes either and after it the guy was like 
thanks for coming in and giving that a bash. <laughs> I think you should probably try and start at Red Raw in Glasgow. And I was like, right, that's a couple of people that have told me that now. I'll go and I'll try Red Raw. Okay, but so you were being directed to it? Yeah. In a strange way? Yes. But that's bold to get your ill-fitting suit and your top hat and go. <laughs> did they tell you that you were going to have to do something or did you just assume they would explain when you got there or what? The girl, I think the girl who answered the phone must have been a runner. Mm-hmm. And she just said, look, you, you'll get 10 minutes, so do your best 10 minutes. So because I panicked out of the Langside edition but I knew that I had to go and do an edition to get into the course mm-hmm. I just thought I need to do 10 minutes like just a singing or whatever singing or whatever uh, did you sing? <laughs> I didn't sing no <laughs> I didn't sing I can't remember much it it's didn't been get totally to that point. blackened out of my brain wow I, w- I would like to see it I wish I could see a video of it it definitely got recorded it's somewhere yep it's definitely somewhere and Gavin See Gavin that works in the comedy unit. Mm. He's got ginger hair. I don't know. I don't think I know. He still works in the comedy unit to this day, mm-hmm. and I've said to him many times, "I was in that day," and and he's like, "Oh, I can't remember. It was years ago." Yeah. And I looked so different when I was younger as well. So right. I don't blame him if he can't remember me. But <laughs> imagine if we could get a hold of all that that footage though, because there must be other. Mm-hmm. There must be hundreds of other open auditions. Oh yeah, man. And if if that was your approach, then good. Like what? did other people do oh that's because there's some crazy people out there aren't there yeah i mean if you, you're pretty smart if your best thinking was <laughs> buy a suit that doesn't fit and wear a top hat <laughs> and maybe sing then who knows what <laughs> else could be in store but it's good fun i'm glad um i'm glad that early on that i mean i got my i bumped myself with that big time my confidence was right totally crashed mm-hmm. i needed that though because it it gave me you know, it made me think, God, I need to respect this. This right, this isn't easy. Like, this is not just making my mates laugh in a classroom mm-hmm. or at a party. This is different. This is a different kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's more to it. Yeah. And it was even when I'd done the first Red Raw, it wasn't a, like, I went and did the first Red Raw, five minutes, mm. and same again, I wore that suit for some reason. I wore the suit and the top hat around. And, uh, I love this suit. Have you got any pictures of that? I think I do. Some That's places. Image. I actually chucked it. I chucked the suit out not that long ago. Well, mm-hmm. I say not that long ago. Maybe two years ago or something. Mm-hmm. I kind of regret it because I wish I kept it. Because <laughs> I'd wear it now, uh, just as a laugh. Mm-hmm. But I, my first gig was awful as well. Like the first five. Oh yeah. I mean, because right. I walked into the Stan Comedy Club. Two hundred people were there. Yeah. And I thought oh my god, what am I going to do? I didn't know how to hold a mic, probably. Mm-hmm. I didn't know when the sound guys was, was like, when do you want a flash like, to get off the stage? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was so nervous as yeah. well. I mean, my ne- my shyness and my nervousness, nervousness at that stage of my life was like holding me back. Yeah. So I got drunk in the house before I left. Oh, wow. You know, to I thought that would help with my nerves. So I had a bottle of rosy wine, which I don't ever drink in my life. I don't know why I chose rosy wine. Seven about seven Budweisers, right? This was in my house. See, by the time I got to the Stan Comedy Club, I was paralytic, and I must have had about six pints in the Stan Comedy Club. So God knows how wow. I got on that stage, but I remember. I think the first half I was getting laughs, 
And then the second half was just like, oh, this guy's just a drunk arsehole mm-hmm. wearing a suit. But that, the combination of the comedy unit edition and my first red draw, mm-hmm. I never got back into stand up until I was 22 after that. So right. it definitely sent me away with my tail in between my legs, but I'm glad that it happened as well. Yeah. Because everything happens for a reason, I suppose. Sure. So they were, <coughs> were they around the same time when you were still sort of 18? Yeah. They were quite close together, those two events. Yes. And then it was a, a good, what, four years before you did anything again or what? You were still still at college. Um, I did. The audition was when I was 18. Red Draw was when I was 18. And from 18 to I was 22, it was kind of no man's land, really. Right. I just get a job in a supermarket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was occasionally working with my brother's mates and stuff who were tradesmen. Mm-hmm. But I always had this kind of thing in the back of my head, like, is this my life? This can't just be my life. Like, I want to do acting, I want to do stand-up. But see, when you, like, nobody in my family were like that. They're all working class. Mm-hmm. Just so, not judgmental, but they were just like, you need to get a grip of yourself and get a trade and stop talking about all this acting shit and all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I was looking at my brothers and my family and I was like, I don't, what a like no disrespect to anybody mm-hmm. that does that but i don't want to do it so uh, there's no role model for you and your family for what it is that you think you want to do well i say at that time not at the time to help me make that decision mm-hmm. but the seeds were planted early in life i would say my granddad was my inspiration right with comedy out of my entire family my mum is very funny as well mm-hmm. and supportive but my granddad when i was younger I mean, he passed away when I was about 11, mm-hmm. so, but the time we had together was very fun, and he was funny as well, he was like, if he could act, he, he could definitely be in something, mm-hmm. his voices were unreal, but see, because I was a child, like, he used to just walk about, I remember I was in the town room once, and he must have bumped into someone, and he just changed accent, <laughs> he just, like, totally changed accent, right? And it, this person must have thought that he was English because mm-hmm. he never even, like it wasn't even, it was bat of an eyelid, he could just change character. And my mum used to say that as well, like he used to just, like his voices, his facial expressions, he used to have like props with him at all times. He had carried props? Yeah, carried props. Just for fun? Just for fun. Brilliant. And I always remember like one of my last memories was uh, walking into his room and it was just a room full of Laurel and Hardy posters, Marx Brothers stuff, right. wigs, like <laughs> prop wigs, fake thumbs. <laughs> and it was just like so comical. So I think, and he got me into like Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers. Yeah. So I think he's he's definitely the major influence there in my life. That's tremendous. Yeah, man. My dad got me into the Marx Brothers. We used to, don't know if you remember, they used to show the films over Christmas on... I think it was Channel 4, but they would show them at 2 in the morning. Oh. So nobody was actually, I don't think anybody was watching them really, but my dad would set the video recorder and then in the morning we would watch them and then if he was up late enough he would try and pause it for the adverts, you know, so we didn't get the adverts. And we had all, a whole collection of the, the videos. Amazing, man. And what a childhood there. He just showed me and I was fascinated and I still love them. Yeah. Amazing. That's the thing with the Marx Brothers. I've, I've got a total obsession with them. See mm-hmm. if, like I like you more now. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yeah. fact that well, you've actually, told me you same. like the Marx Brothers, I'm like, uh, he's a good guy. Yeah. But uh, he gets it. I, but I'm so upset. Like, th- that's another thing as well. Like, when my granddad passed away, mm-hmm. uh, 
we had all these, just all these stuff. And my mum had a Marx Brothers. I mean, it wasn't an actual Marx Brothers video. It was a VHS video. Taped off the telly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, a day at the races. Yeah. And she kept it up in the loft. And see, when I was in college studying TV production, mm-hmm. totally depressed. This is not what I do in my life. Yeah. I used to dog college. Mm-hmm. And I found this video at my loft. And literally, I've watched the movie maybe 200, 300 times. And it's because when I was 18, DVDs were not really. I mean, they were. They were just out. getting started, I think, Aye. when I was about 18. So, yeah. And see, the, see, when they were getting started, I mean, the Marx Brothers wasn't going to be on a DVD. No, no, it, it was, was like, like current films. Yeah. Or, yeah. So I used to just totally obsess over a day at the races. I used to be obsessed with Chico playing the piano, Brilliant. Harpo playing the harp. And just like, it was like a therapy to me as well. Mm-hmm. And anytime I watched it, it was just making me feel like, oh, I want to do this so bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was awesome. So so you're in this course that you've picked because it's kind of close to what you think you want to do. Yeah. But you didn't have to audition for it. That made it easier, presumably. Yes. But you're miserable, basically. Totally miserable because I had this warped sense of thinking that TV production would still be acting for some reason. I don't know why. Some sort of way in. or Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I'm just looking at countless spreadsheets and mm. all that kind of stuff thinking, no, this is not Not the it. spreadsheets, yeah. please. <laughs> We're trying to avoid the spreadsheets at all costs. But it was, it was definitely good fun because it's, I mean, I haven't got, I mean, I only got an NQ to mm-hmm. television production and sound recording before I walked away. So it was a year. Yeah. And then what happens after that? You're at the supermarket. At the supermarket. In the meantime? Just blending in, just getting a wage. And I got to a stage where I was like, right, I need to get a trade. I was 22 years old. I need to get a trade mm-hmm. or something. I'm not going to go and be a Sparky or a Bricky because that's four years and I'm too old by the time I finish that. Right. So I literally just opened a college book. I'm totally mental. I'm actually saying this out loud and thinking, what have I done with my life? (laughs) (laughs) But look at you're here now. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm looking through this college course and I'm thinking, right, what can I get as a trade? But it's not going to be that long. (laughs) So uh, What's the quickest trade you can get? (laughs) So I found um, the barber course. To be a like a, a barber hairdresser mm-hmm. and i was like all right okay i can do that and then i started having you know demented visions of me like immigrating to australia to be a barber because that's a trade that can get you into the country ah. so you know i'd done that for nine months and you know i did enjoy it mm-hmm. i did enjoy it i started to get really good at it and i was thinking about maybe trying to get my own barber shop but it was the same again. I was just like, am I doing this just for the sake of doing it? Mm-hmm. it? It was not that rewarding. And I was in the college one day and I could feel myself just hating it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was walking through the college and I seen a poster on the wall and it says uh, Charlie Rossi's comedy course. So I thought, right, what's this? It's a 10 week course that you go to every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It tells you about stand up comedy and uh you know he just tells you the ins and outs mm-hmm. so i'll just start out with something to do on a wednesday i'll i'll go there but r- round about that time as well i was i was always devastated with my first gig so i thought i'll go right. back to red raw and i'll 
I'll do it again. Okay. And I won't do it drunk and see if I'm shite. Because I, I don't think I'm deluded, mm-hmm. even though I've made some outrageous decisions, like <laughs> going to do the barber course. But yeah, I, yeah. Like, I'm very self-aware that, like, if I'm not funny, I'm not funny. You're going like, to stop at yeah. some point, yeah. So I thought, I'll go and I'll do another gig, and if I'm shite, I won't do it again. Big so, words. Aye. So I went, and I'd done it, and I got a laugh. I got laughs, like genuine laughter, and I was sober, and... You know, I was supposed to do five minutes, but only done maybe three and a half minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And I was just gutted because I walked off too early. But I was the laughter that I was getting, I think I got an applause break as well. And it just totally yep. sucked me in. Like it was a it was a drug and I was like, Oh, this is what it is. Uh-huh. And then I was like, right, I'll go and I'll do the other gig that they've offered me and I'll see how I feel after that. Went and done it again. Never d- quite done five minutes again, but same again i was getting laughter people were saying well done and mm-hmm. i was like right man i've got the bug a total bug and it set me up to go into the stand-up course right so that was nice so then so you're continuing with your other college course but kind of secretly on the side you're moonlighting and doing the stand-up thing yeah i was doing the barber course by day uh-huh. and then going and doing the stand-up course at night it was in the same building so i was like just kind of oaps and uh that came into the college to get haircuts for a pound right so i was like cutting just going through the the motions uh-huh. and just cutting people's hair but thinking oh, i can't wait to start start this comedy course so uh you know i walked into this comedy course and it, charlie ross he doesn't really do stand up anymore and I, I need to say on record as well people can't teach you to be funny they you're either funny or you're not funny sure but see if you have no clue whatsoever about the stand-up world Mm -hmm. i would recommend going into a stand-up course because he was able to tell me what an opener was Mm -hmm. a compare was about respect like green room respect all that kind of stuff that i never knew anything about so that was awesome and while i was in there um i started kind of gigging doing open spot nights Mm -hmm. So he entered a competition called Scottish Comedian of the Year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it happens every year. The final was at the O2. Right. And I missed it. I never entered it because I'm like, I've only done seven gigs. I'm not going to enter that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'll get you in. So he went to the guy that runs this, got me in. I joined it. And it turns out that I ended up getting to the final. Really? With charlie ross who was running the course while i was still in the course that's amazing so it was such a weird feeling thinking i was going in to do my showcase gig at uh, maggie mays Mm -hmm. charlie ross was the compere and the two years were like i can't believe we're in the final next week of this you know competition so that was the scottish comedian of the year was my 50th gig and from then on for a year i never I couldn't, I, I never struggled to get a gig, I got a gig, no bother. Right. It was just people offering me gigs. Wow. You know. So then that's when you start to really hone the this craft. Yeah, definitely, and still having confidence issues, and mm-hmm. because I've never done any performance, I've, n- I've never done any drama, so it was just like so weird to just be on a stage and still learning how to hold a mic properly, and 
I mean, I, I remember I used to shake so much that I used to have to wear a hoodie. And then I was mm-hmm. like, I'll hold the mic with my right hand and the hoodie pocket, I'll put my left hand in there so people don't see me shaking. Wow. Do you know what I mean? So so bef- before you did that first five with the, the suit and the hat, would you say you had never stepped on a stage before? Never stepped on a stage before. That's amazing. Never, never done any of that before. So you really are learning, cutting your teeth. Yeah. And to, to learn that in the stand-up world, that's a, would you agree it's quite a harsh environment at times? Very, very harsh, um, especially for someone that's walking in because mm-hmm. this it seems very unforgiving as well. Like, I don't think you're allowed to make mistakes in the stand-up world. Mm. Like, someone will go and walk in and they'll, you know, they're young and naive and they'll say something stupid that, you know, about maybe an opener or whatever mm-hmm. because they don't know the term and they'll totally get hung out to dry yeah but i was i was quite lucky i was i was lucky people pulled me aside and kind of said to me like there's something there with you mm-hmm. like just obviously don't drink <laughs> <laughs> clearly don't, don't wear a suit <laughs> and actually just come back to the stand and start watching comedy because see right. see during the my college course years of being a barber for mm-hmm. nine months i was doing that during the day but after college i was going to the stand comedy club and watching as a punter right. seven nights a week ah. every single night not because i felt like i needed to it's because i loved it mm-hmm. and yeah i was in the stand for a year i'd class that as a trade yeah that's Just, how you learn right? yeah and then I was finding out about other nights and then I was going to see stand up at other nights and mm-hmm. just seeing other comedians and I it was it was awesome. Did you watch a lot of stand up comedy growing up? Because you're talking about the Marx Brothers and stuff. I I didn't I, I didn't at all. Like I don't know what it I don't know the word f- to describe my kind of you know my education towards it because mm-hmm. I don't know if it's stupidity. It's probably stupidity because doesn't seem like it. Because, well, see, when I was 18 and the boy in the class was like, go to the stand, mm-hmm. I says, what's the stand? Mm-hmm. He done that as a comedy club. And I says, a comedy club? You get comedy clubs? Because I thought there was only Bully Conley. Right. Eddie Murphy, French and Saunders. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, when I, when I grew up, it was Bully Conley, Eddie Murphy, French and Saunders. I watched The Young Ones. Right. And... All that kind of stuff. So that was my kind of shooting stars. So it's Billy Conley and English people and American yeah. people. Yeah. But in Scotland, where's the is there anything going on? You're yeah. surprised that that exists. I just didn't think that stand up was a thing. But it was like when he told me, "No, you can do stand up," and I was like, "That was a total green light." I, I felt a weight mm. off my shoulders. I was like, "I can actually go and write my own stuff and say this into a mic," and it was dead exciting. Like, and the stuff that you did at that time when you were those first 50 gigs for example what made it into the act is it is it just stuff that you find funny is it, is it what's weird about the world what what was the content i mean the, the first i used to do like lots of facial expressions stupid voices right talk about my time in asda i had some trolley boy jokes <laughs> obviously just college jokes and all that kind of stuff growing up so from your life but it, other people have told me that I'm really surreal and because I haven't been I mean I love Bully Conley mm-hmm. but I haven't been uh, he hasn't like he wasn't one of my 
inspirations. Mm-hmm. It was the Marx Brothers and Shooting Stars. Yeah. So that's been my childhood. It's a totally different school yeah. of thought, yeah. So um, I think my, you know, my stand-up is quite... The way... See the way I was dressing with the suit? Mm-hmm. I think that's how I act now, is how I was how I used to look. Okay. So I don't dress up like that, but I, I act like that. So I think if I wore a suit and a top hat in my set right now, it probably wouldn't look out of place. Right, but yeah. But what makes it so weird and crazy and stuff is I'm just, I look normal. Do you know what I mean? You say well, weird I think stuff. I look normal. <laughs> <laughs> Relatively speaking, yeah, of course, of course you do. <laughs> so the suit's gone. Now you're, I mean, if we can skip to the present day, it's in a roundabout way. Now you're doing the acting thing that you thought that you wanted to do way back before you even knew what stand up was. Yes. Right? Uh huh. How did that shift come about? Well, I was doing stand up one night in a pub. It mm-hmm. was called the. I was doing two gigs that night actually one in the Stan Comedy Club in Glasgow, mm-hmm. and then I walked up the road to the Holt Bar. Oh, yeah. So I was opening the stand and closing the Holt, mm-hmm. and. The creator of Scott Squad, mm-hmm. Joe Hewlett, was in the pub for a beer, and uh, he just said to us, "Like I'm working on this project at the comedy unit," and I was like, "Oh, the comedy unit, aye. <laughs> like, my my only horrible experience with the comedy unit." And he's like, "Aye, it's the same place." And I told him, "I was like, I went in that place where I sit," and. Uh, <laughs> And he just said, he's like, oh, look, it's next Friday, it's this thing I'm writing, we're holding auditions, would you like to come in? Never told me what it was called, mm-hmm. never told me anything about it, but I was quite friendly with Joe. I wouldn't say I was his mate at that stage, but any time I seen him, I was like, oh, he's a good guy, he's clued up in comedy. Right, from the scene that, you knew. Aye, but... all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. I went into the comedy unit uh, for an audition. And it was a wee bit different from before. It was only two people there, and we weren't get. I wasn't getting filmed with a camera, mm-hmm. and I had ten minutes again. Right. And you know, I had to make up. It was for Scott Squad, so he says you have to make up a character. You can either be a policeman or a dafty or a criminal or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I came up with a kind of dafty character, and they were like right that was funny we'd like you to come back for the second edition and it was a massive group edition oh, right. so i just treated it like a gig i just went in with the mentality i'll just treat this like a stand-up gig okay and i you know i went and done it and it was awesome so were there other people at that group edition that are now in the show yes uh karen was there right and of, you guys work together now as a as a comedy pairing in the yes. show yeah karen was there um there was a few other people um manny you know, Grado's Oh yeah, yeah. Pal. Um and there was obviously actors that are in other shows now, like River City and stuff that were there that so didn't a get few parts. Familiar faces. Yeah. yeah. But I remember walking in and thinking, Wow man, this is this is great. I had the buzz about it as well. Like yeah. I wasn't scared either. I was looking forward to it. You did a lot of gigs by then though. Yeah, I had a couple of gigs under my belt mm-hmm. and I also went and just angry at myself from the first time. <laughs> right, fueled by that. Yeah, because I was just like, I was so stupid to do that. But like, I was just like, you know what, I'm going I'm going to go in and it's going to be different this time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to make sure that it's so much different. And I just went in and treated it like a gig and mm-hmm. it, was, it was great fun, man. 
and but I never found out that I got Scott Squad for a long time because they told me supposedly they were like you're a bit too daft it's too cartoonish your facial expressions are really funny but it's just too mental you're right like we don't know if we can have you in this show so I think Joe Hullett told me that they were like we can't make him a police officer because that's just mm-hmm. too silly so we'll need to come up with a character that can fit him mm-hmm. and together me and Joe came up with the character that's Bobby Muir mm-hmm. Joe says we're going to get a character that comes into the police station and annoys a police officer mm-hmm. and I've, I suggested things on top of that so then once you start doing the show you have to constantly be coming up with that stuff because it's not written is it it's in advance or it's it's not written but like scenarios are written i see so it'll be like joe hullett who is the writer and chris grady writes as well Mm -hmm. they'll say bobby walks into the police station with a bag full of whoopsies um in that bag of whoopsies there'll be such and such what's a bag of whoopsies you know in asda you can get reduced food Oh, whoopsies, right, okay. It's called whoopsies. <laughs> you're doing you're doing your Asta chat now. See, I'm Aye. not all clued up <laughs> about Asta. So it will be like, you know, that kind of stuff. Or right. Bobby walks in my McDonald's and it's out of date. And mm-hmm. so, but like I'm, you know, I, I don't think I've got an ego. So I'd be like, if this is shite, just tell me it's shite. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to feed me any lines, feel free to just shout a line. I'd say to the cameramen to do it, anybody mm-hmm. to do it, and uh, Joe is standing at the side as well, so it's a good team effort. Sure. So then do you try different things? Do you do a take and then you go, actually, let's do it, like, change it. It's not a sausage roll at all, it's a different thing or whatever. Uh, no, because it's so quick. It's just like, all right. it's so quick. Like, I don't think I've ever stopped it and thought, oh, this is shite. Can we do something else? Really? We've just... I've just always said, oh, can we do that again? Do you know mm. what I mean? Just another go at the same yeah. thing. Is it multi-camera? I think there's about f- two cameras there. There's one on me, one on Karen. So they so they could get the whole thing in one go? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So you don't, they don't have to redo it from different angles and you do the same thing again? Yeah. Okay. And then, so, obviously the format of the show means that you don't really have interaction with loads of those other characters that we know no. loads of those other actors that we know uh, chris forbes who you know from the stand-up scene sally reed you know people yeah. that have been on the show as well so is there what was that ever an intention that you would all they would they would intermingle or was it always going to be this episodic kind of these vignettes of different separated scenes see i don't i mean i don't really know the process of it but i've noticed like uh, say for instance my dad would be like oh you're just gonna go into the station all the time mm-hmm. and I'm like well the the sergeant never leaves the desk mm-hmm. Chris is always Chris Forbes is always with Ashley Smith James Kirk is always by himself Gradle's always by Manny it's the tried and tested method isn't yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> and I, was... I really regret well I don't regret but you know when we were coming up with the character yeah. they were like right so what can we make about this guy and I says because when I, see when I filmed the pilot of Scott Squad, mm. I had to take a sickie from Asda. That's how long ago this was. Wow. You know, I had to kind of, you know, turn up. I was just finished, you know, like it was just so new and yeah. raw. 
so like they were like what do you want to make him as a job and i says oh trolley boy make him as a trolley boy and they're like all right then that's quite funny right and the glasses that he wears is an actual pair of my old classes right. i used to wear them when i was about 16 they're proper nhs yeah. specs and they were just so when i was younger i thought these are so funny and comical <laughs> i could just i just kept them in my drawer for about seven years thankfully and i kept them for that you made a rod for your own back because now you're a trolley boy wearing your old glasses and that's it i know it's my own glasses <laughs> trolley boy so see people in asda <laughs> people in asda that never knew i was doing stand-up when they seen that they just thought it was like me running into the station right okay but so they didn't know you were doing stand-up even no some I, people. Kept, I kept that it was a total double life i was like trolley boy barber by day and stand-up at night <laughs> trolley boy barber there's a musical waiting to be written yeah but it's cause I was shy and stuff and I was like what's the point I don't want to tell anybody Like, I was so just... you didn't have any interest in discussing it with people and saying this is what I'm doing and no. dissecting it you just wanted to do it I just wanted to do it wanted to learn it mm-hmm. and uh, loved it I still love it but it was it was really weird you know you're doing uh, I remember I was doing a gig one night with Kevin Bridges and Frankie Boyle and I was like in the green room with these two superstars oh yeah. thinking wow man this is amazing and uh, I've got a shift tomorrow at 7 in the morning like it's <laughs> just mental like and you didn't go into your shift and tell anybody no nope. I don't think I could handle that no but it was t- it was just mad I think I enjoyed it as well I felt that like wee secret re- aye it was good was there a bit of you that wondered if they wouldn't react very well to it not the Kevin Bridges but obviously that's everyone loves that but the, the idea that you were doing stand-up at night did you worry that people would just be like what, what are you talking about not understand well i mean yes because very early on i remember i phoned my brother and you know i said to my brother i'm gonna go and do stand-up and straight away he just says what do you want to do that for mm-hmm. and i just done that what and he's like what do you want to do that for get a grip get a trade like pull your finger out your ass what you doing and I, I remember saying am i not allowed to have a hobby in life no i need to just go and work and die and that's it and uh so that kind of left me hurt and i just thought right i'm not telling anybody ah okay like that kind of feeling so you made a decision at that point right yeah. fine i'll do it on my own and yeah mm-hmm. but then i suppose what happens is you get into this new world and you start to find people that you can relate to on a different level to, you know, the Asda people or people at home. Yeah. So did you find that you were in a, in, a, in a new, exciting world of friends who understood you? Was that your experience? Oh, definitely. And meeting new people as well, like, just from different backgrounds and different mm-hmm. religions and stuff. Like, because I was just a wee, in a wee bubble, just a wee bubble for the first 18 years of my life. I, yeah. Uh, like, I think, like, I don't know, maybe... You, I don't know how to like I met Scott Agnew Scott mm-hmm. Agnew is one of my best mates yeah and he's an amazing comedian and I'm sitting there talking to him having a beer and I was like having this inner dialogue to myself I don't think I've ever met a gay person before do you know really? what I mean and I was just like this is brilliant this world I stand up is amazing I'm gigging with like teachers gay people people <laughs> for different religions yeah and like everybody just wants to have a laugh as well and i'm like this is mental like i'm loving this like i love the kind of madness of it as well all that sort of melting pot of all these different people yeah 
Uh, Scott Agnew was really nice to me as well. He was, I owe him a lot, man. See, when I was first starting off, he used to get me a lot of gigs and give me a lot of advice. And he's a, mm-hmm. he's a funny guy, man. So then, did your your old life, if you like, that you grew up in, and this new life ever collide? Where you brought you pals back home, or you brought your parents to see you do stand up or anything like that? No, um, that was the weird fit. I mean, it was kind of colliding when I was working in Asda. Yeah. Because uh, some punters in the Asda car park were like, oh, I seen oh. you at the stand last week. Okay. And the other trolley boy was like, what's the stand? And I was like, oh, nothing, mate, it's all right. <laughs> like that <laughs> kind of way. And uh, when I started to feel comfortable enough, um, I think how my mates found out was I was gigging at the State Bar mm-hmm. in Holland Street one night and Chris Broomfield runs that gig mm-hmm. and he advertises on the Evening Times mm-hmm. newspaper. Brilliant. So one of them were reading the What's On gig list and seeing my name there. <laughs> so they were like, right, I need to come and see you. And that was it really. Like, I'd done well and he was like, no, I, I genuinely enjoyed that. I want to see you again. And then it was just, then it started spreading around about all my mates and that's how kind of everybody found out. And the state, the state bar and all these other places I always think of as potentially less friendly than the stand. I think of the stand as quite a friendly audience. Yes. From the gigs I've done there on my small, a little dipping my toe into stand up. So what's, you must have then had some experiences of, of, a, of a harsher climate definitely i mean put it this way if if you're starting off that's okay if you're starting off but see if you're doing stand-up regular Mm -hmm. and you can't get a laugh on a tuesday night at red raw in glasgow then that's a problem something's wrong yeah Yeah, something's really bad there yeah Uh, but harsher environments yeah i've done gigs for rugby clubs football teams the -hmm. state bar's rough man that's a rough gig and then I'm quite, you know, different and surreal and stuff. So I seem to attract hecklers and right. drunk people. And obviously because I speak about some stuff in my set that might be alcohol related, mm-hmm. I just seem to attract it like a magnet. But I'm used to it. That's my set and yeah. I can deal with it. But, you know, you learn that. So, because I've heard people talk about these uh, sort of corporate gigs or, or stag do, hen do kind of thing? Have you done all that stuff? I've not done many because at the end of the day, I want to enjoy it. Like, I'm very careful with what I pick. Okay. Like, if a corporate gig, I've only done one one corporate gig mm-hmm. and it was for a Tartan Army fan club in the Iron Horse. And it wasn't that uh, into my stand-up kind of stuff. So I was like very you know inexperienced and they were like right we need you to do one hour it's just you yourself just grab the mic and just talk shit and i was like an hour by that stage i never done any longer than 20 minutes but it was an all right gig it was a couple of a couple of pounds (laughs) so i was like aye and by that stage i was like ah god that's a that's a month's wage in asda yeah do you know what i mean part-time wage and uh (laughs) So I went up for an hour, the mic was broke, I was getting heckled by the DJ and I was sick in the toilet with nerves and just mental, but I've definitely had uh, like my 
my fair share of mental gigs. Definitely. Heckled by the DJ. Aren't you supposed to be on the same team? <laughs> You're not supposed to support each other. That's rough. <laughs> he done that. He done that. Tis Kevin Bridges has done done this gig and all, by the way. And he, he was shite. <laughs> he was shite and all. I was like, oh, cheers, mate. Oh, well. Puts you on a level with Bridges. Nothing wrong with that. That's okay. Um, so you've got an hour is no problem to you now. I wouldn't say it's no problem, but I can. I've definitely done many done gigs it. that have been an hour. But I would just have to take my thought process with it. But I can do yeah. an hour, no bother. So, and you've got a new hour coming up soon. Yes, I'm returning to the Glasgow Comedy Festival in March. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a solo show at Blackfriars on the ninth and the tenth of March. Great, and it's called Against the Grain, and that will be an hour long. And does that mean? I suppose that means that none of that material has been out. On, on the circuit at all or does it mean you've t- tested bits of it and you've put it together no none of it's been out the circuit yet but I'll definitely be going out and trying some new stuff at open mic nights and I've right. kind of got it in my head anyway mm-hmm. I've got that much experience now I'd like to think that I'm alright you know I think you're mm-hmm. I'm aware that it can be f- something's funny or not funny it just needs tweaked in front of a crowd so it's not like you have that the possibility that you're just going to do a bit and it's going to be completely unfunny. Yeah. You'd be very surprised if it just had nothing. Yes. You've a sense of... Aye. Because if I said, I wouldn't say that to you, I'd be like, if I said something to you, I would know that it wouldn't be funny. So... That's true. You're in a conversation, you see something coming and you go, that'll be funny. Yeah. Sometimes it's funnier than you thought or more often than not for me, it's not quite as funny as I thought. (laughs) I know that feeling. And I usually say... Huh, I thought that would have landed better. But the thing is, for most of my friends who are in either actors or comedians or musicians or whatever, we'll sit and talk about why. Like, instead of going, shut up, someone yes. like Sally Reed would go, yeah, no, I think if you just held off like a little bit on the, I think you overplayed the punchline a little bit, or, you know, and then we'll dissect it. Yeah. Sal, this is hanging out with comedians. They don't actually laugh a lot of the time. A lot of, they'll just go, that's funny. I were really dead inside. Like, that's funny. glazed over eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really distracted with your dog snoring. I know, it's happened again. No, it's lovely. My dad said he finds it very comforting sometimes, you know, uh, if if she's sleeping in the same room as him. Because she's yeah. forced, obviously, she's asleep half the time. But you know what? I think she's got her eyes open. Oh, really? Yeah. That's she does quite worrying then. Sleep, awake. <laughs> she <laughs> she, she doesn't just can't discriminate. breathe. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a breathing problem. It's her birthday today. Oh, yes. She's 11 years that. old. So it's very exciting. She doesn't seem all that bothered by it, if I'm honest. Did you get her anything? I gave her a biscuit earlier. She loved it. Uh, I took her for a walk. She thought it was the best thing ever. And then I thought, if I got her something, it would not be for her. It would be for me to assuage some weird guilt that I've got about not getting her something. <laughs> and I just looked into my own mind. I was like, I don't need to do that to make myself <laughs> feel like I'm enough. Because <laughs> she could take it or leave it. And some other day I'll get her something. And it won't matter what day it is. Aye. So Scott Squad continues. Are you doing another lot? I don't know. I haven't heard anything oh, about I it. Oh, I see, right. Um the online feedback and all that stuff has been very positive mm-hmm. um his fourth season has happened now i don't know if a fifth is going to happen mm-hmm. but uh i'm not putting all my hope and life into a fifth happening no it's been fantastic it's changed my life yeah um it's enhanced my stand-up career yeah it's made me learn so much about acting as well yeah. Like trying to make people laugh on a set when nobody can la- is not allowed to laugh is weird because I'm used to just being in a comedy club. Of course, so yeah. So if the people on the set find it funny, you can't barely yeah. tell because they're not allowed to laugh. 
because I always love feed. I feed off a crowd. Yeah. See if I don't have a crowd, I struggle. Mm-hmm. I really struggled with panto with that with rehearsing. Mm-hmm. But I was like that with Scott Squad. I was just done it. This is no funny, and they're like, "No, it's funny. We just can't you laugh because it'll get picked up in the camera." And I was like, "All oh, so right, weird, okay, yeah. that's weird." But uh, if it happens, um, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'll never stop doing it because it's the thing that made me go into employment. This is my job now. Yeah. So. Uh, so that kicked it into gear for you. Yes. And now, and you've done panto now. I've done panto, yeah, that was great fun. But then that it's funny what you say about rehearsing that you're in, you don't have a crowd to feed off. But then because because you, you don't rehearse as a stand up really, yeah. Well, you write, don't you? And you think, and you go out there and you try it. Yeah. Even at that, I, I mean, I don't write a joke out. I wouldn't mm-hmm. when I do stand up. It's all bullet points. It's ideas of yeah, yeah. Just and then I'll go up and I'll I'll literally just work it out on stage that right. night. That terrifies me. Yeah. So that terrifies me. See, I'm terrified of your world, though. I'm I'm scared of scripts and all mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It just puts the fear in me. And I, I really struggled during my panto rehearsals. Like, really struggled to the point I was just like, right, I've been found out. I'm, I'm shite. Like, this is not for me. Everybody I'll, thinks that about I, everything. Really. I'll try my best. I'll obviously try my best, but I've been found out. This is the end. <laughs> and then they kept saying, no, wait until you've got a crowd. And I was like, well, I, and then as soon as I got a crowd, I felt like, yeah. see, when it was full, I was like, oh, it was like, when I have a crowd there, it was like a comfort blanket. I was like, yes, yeah. I've got a crowd. I actually, I had the same experience with the Christmas show I just did because I'd, I'm okay with rehearsing because I, I think I I remember what it's like from the last time when there's going to be a crowd and it is going to change. Uh, but when they finally come in, I do have that feeling of, ah, okay, it's all good now. Yes. And I can start trying stuff out. And I'm now I'm finally going to know how this joke lands because the laugh you get in a rehearsal room from your buddies is totally different to the laugh from the, the audience, especially a panto audience. Yeah. The stuff that will land in the rehearsal room that actually is not going to be any use in the show. Yeah, I've uh, noticed that as well. Cause the stuff that we uh, we end jokes that we yeah. enjoy and actually it's useless, it's got to go. And you think it's gold. Yeah. You're like, oh, these are crackers. And every <laughs> time you do it, you go, I love this bit. <laughs> and you do it in the first show and you go, oh, okay. That literally got nothing. <laughs> nothing. And then <laughs> other stuff that didn't get a laugh, you know, the uh, whole time. How many pantos have you done? Oh, probably. It's in the double figures anyway. Yeah. Some of them I've written, some of them I've written music for, some of them I've been in as a kid some of us got older played dame different things you know yeah lots but the last one was a was a little bit different because it was not technically a panto a christmas show yes so i I was the one who brought the panto to it everyone's like doing their doing their best christmas show thing and yeah. i was i was giving it like as much gerard kelly as i possibly <laughs> could i was like we're gonna do panto stuff if it kills us yeah i'm determined <laughs> It was great. That's brilliant. It's weird how we kind of met as well, didn't we? Because I've I never realised that I've seen you gig. Yeah. Maybe 40, 50 times. And we were sitting having a coffee one night. And it was just like a child. I was like, oh, no way. I've actually gigged with you. you. I've gigged with you many times. <laughs> because of Chris and I, when you were the doing the double act with Chris Forbes with yeah. the accordion, I thought you were so funny, man. I've never, because I've never spoke to you before. I didn't know you. Because I've, I've <laughs> ne- I never met you before. That sounded like a pure arsehole thing. That I don't know you, so I didn't talk I didn't. to you. <laughs> <laughs> now no. you're prepared to talk to me. Because <laughs> I'm somebody. I what can I get for him? <laughs> no, uh, when you were playing the accordion, when you came on and you were wearing flip flops and stuff, and I was like, God, because 
that made, when I watched you, I was like, God, that's so slapstick and like pantomime and mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of vaudeville because you never spoke. But, but it was that's all, all from the March Brothers. That's basically Harpo. Yeah, man. The decision for that, because you know when that that character was first thought up, and and we did it as a one hour show at at Capitol when it existed, and uh, Gordon Mitchell had my character had lines. I came in and I said to him, "Oh yeah, the, we cancelled the party, and Raven and Nighthawk couldn't make it because this that." And we had this whole skit, and then it was a bit like the story of Harpo. He spoke in their act, and they said it just ruins it. Yeah, it's funnier when you don't. And I said, "Do you know what, Chris? I think I shouldn't be saying anything. I just come in and look." Look daft. Brilliant, man. It works a treat. But it just shows you the two years love the Marx Brothers and I'm watching you thinking, oh, that's kind of like... This is good stuff. Yeah. And I watch you on Scott Squad and I go, how is it he just sort of pulls a daft face and it's hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> and of course I would like that, the Marx Brothers. Yeah. And well, we have to have a further Marx Brothers chat. Millie's still snoring away, so we'll call it a day. Yeah, no bother. I've had fun. Thanks for coming in. Did I send an invoice to you or... No, cut that bit out. I sound. <laughs> it just sounds like a horrible bastard. <laughs> <laughs>